Hello and welcome to another episode of the Healthy Hustlers podcast. I'm your host, Madeline Carafa. If you're new here, welcome. The Healthy Hustlers is a series of healthy conversations with influential hustlers, where together we chat health mindset and motherhood. Featuring easy to digest conversations with some of the most successful and influential people in our country, including the likes of Kayla Itzines, Megan Gale, Elise Knowles, Sarah's Day, Mick Fanning, and many more, this podcast is sure to give you a boost of healthy enthusiasm to fuel your health and well-being goals. With over 150 episodes for you to enjoy through storytelling, my aim is to offer you a fresh perspective and inspiring insights that will empower you to live a happier, healthier and more fulfilling life. March is Do Your Will Month and state trustees are encouraging all Australians to create a will during National Do Your Will Month. The process of creating your will online can take less than 30 minutes and is part of State Trustees' mission that every Australian has a valid will. State Trustees are offering $20 online wills for the month of March. Today's mindset episode is a little different to usual as I'm joined by a very special guest. Emma Edwards is a recovering shopaholic and founder of The Broke Generation. The Broke Generation is a resource for millennials and Gen Ys who want to get financially fit. Emma believes in spending mindfully, saving on the things you hate to free up cash for the things you love. Today we chat tips and tricks on how to get you saving, the power of a positive money mindset and the importance of having a will at every age. With a background in marketing and copywriting, Emma works as an influencer, copywriter and brand ambassador, as well as providing advice, tips, tricks and resources through her adored podcast, Instagram and business, The Broke Generation. Savvy, witty and incredibly knowledgeable, Emma was a total delight to chat with and I know you are going to love this episode as we explore how you too can make adulting fun. Hello, Emma, and welcome to the Healthy Hustlers podcast. I'm so excited to be joined by you today. I've been a long, long time follower, um, so it's so nice to have you on the show. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. I, um, Yeah, when I saw Healthy Hustlers, I was like, sweet, I'm a fan. I'll go on there. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> it feels a bit feels a bit big for me. I'm very excited. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. No, definitely not too big. I'm ve- I'm very excited to have you, and I know this will be um, a really good conversation and an interesting one. I think for my audience as well. Obviously, with the nature of the show, we often focus on you know people's healthy habits, but I think you know money and money mindset is such an important part of our overall health and the way that we feel. So I'm really excited to get into this, and I've done a little bit of money mindset chats on the podcast. So I definitely know that people are interested in the money topic. So we're taking it to the next level today and getting all your tips. But I do start conversation, all the conversations in a really similar tone. And at the moment that is finding out a word. So your word for 2022, and I guess what that really means to you. Yeah, I love this question. I love the word of the year theme, actually. I'm actually glad you've asked me it because um, I had admittedly kind of forgotten about my <laughs> word of the year, but I did have one and I was really all in on it. I've just been a bit sort of like preoccupied the last couple of weeks, but my word for 2022 is whatever. I know it's got a bit of like sassy connotations. I think my mum always used to really berate me for saying the word whatever because it's so like, oh, whatever, like it was like a typical teenage word. But I, what I mean by it is a tiny bit of that defiance as in like, you know, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. But I've realised that I really thrive on options. So whether it's 
trying to eat healthily or be fit or manage my money. I really am my best when I can do whatever it is I'm trying to do, but in various different ways. Rigidity is just not for me. So like trying to do F45, I've got this sort of like sensationalized idea of being someone that does F45, but I just don't like it. (laughs) But I kept trying to go back and just do that because I'd be like, yep, cool, I'll do that. And that's that. Whereas actually, I'm better when I can wake up and think, how do I want to move my body today? Um, how do I want to spend my money? I, I don't follow a really rigid budget. I have a really flexible budget so that I can lean into how I'm feeling on any given day and whatever I need in that moment or in that time. So whatever is my word so that I can give myself a range of options. And also it's a real year of me and I've gone out on my own. I'm doing my own thing. I've left my job. And so there is a little bit of that sass in terms of like, whatever, I'm doing my own thing. So it's kind of double-edged. <laughs> I love that. That is awesome. And I really love your awareness around like having that rigid schedule doesn't necessarily serve you. And to me, it just sounds so intentional as well to wake up every morning and to ask yourself that question of like, what do I feel like? How do I want to move my body? That's awesome. I guess for anyone who's not familiar with you, can you give us a little um, sneak peek into your incredible work and you? Sure. Uh, I always try and keep this brief, but I inevitably ramble. Um, But in short, up until I was about 25, I was all over the place with money, could not hold on to money to save my life. I hadn't ever had a huge amount of it. I'd never had a particularly well-paying job, but, you know, very few people do at that age anyway. So it's really neither here nor there. But I sort of had this realisation. I kind of knew that I wasn't good at money good at keeping money, good at saving money. I knew I wasn't a natural saver, but I hadn't really realised the impact of that until friends around me started buying houses. (laughs) And I was like, oh, Lord. (laughs) Um, What? And I was like, it was really like a glass shattering moment. I was like, oh, my God, people have been saving all this time. Like, I knew that some people were saving, but I didn't know with such reckless abandon the level to which they were saving. And I was like, oh, I've really stuffed it here because I had credit card debt, that was really not really for anything specific. I had no money, but I had nothing really to show for it. I just couldn't hold on to money. I realised I'd had no financial education, really, aside from the fact that money would be difficult. And so I think because money was difficult, I thought, well, I'm doing it right because this is what I expected it to be like Mm. because that's the experience that had been around me. And look, I was lucky enough that we were not living in poverty, but we we didn't have no money, but we didn't really have any money either. You know, we had things that we needed and I was thankfully always fed and clothed and I had the things that I needed and I had certainly had things that I wanted for sure but there was never any financial confidence there was never any conscious saving or investing or planning really it was all just sort of like you get paid you kind of try and make it last all payday and then you know rinse repeat do the same again so that is exactly what I perpetuated then it became apparent to me that some people were actually like squirreling a bit away and had been doing so for years and years and years and I was like oh shit so anyway Here I go again. I told you I ramble on this question. (laughs) Um, But I decided that I was like, you know, this is enough. I am good at maths. I am good at numbers. I should not be in this situation. I'm going to work this out. So I got really clear on why I was spending the way I was spending, because that's what it was really about. It was quite strongly tied to my mental health and my low self-esteem and body image issues. And I realized that I had a lot of 
binge behaviors that would show up in my life. I've been had binge eating problems. I've had binge restriction problems, binge exercising problems, and I've, and binge spending is another one um, mm. where just sort of like soul focus is on one thing. And I realized that I could maybe leverage that behavior a little bit to binge learn about my finances and binge save for a bit and really have a bit of concentrated focus to get to a better position and so I started, you know, it sounds really simplified when I play it back, but I started saving money and that wasn't just a, I'm going to save money and I started doing it. I started attempting different ways to save money and trying to hold on to money and leaning into how I felt when I could do that and gradually built that up and managed to, over the course of about two or three years, pay down my debt. And then, yeah, I pay, I paid that off and I was saving at the same time as that debt so that the debt was going down and my savings were going up. And doing that actually taught me about money. Um, yeah. And so I realised on that journey that I was not alone and there were loads of other people that weren't natural savers or hadn't been told by their parents how to manage money or whatever. So being the millennial cliche that I am, I started an Instagram account about it um, in 2018. And now now we're also a podcast and I have a weekly newsletter that goes out um, all under that broke generation umbrella. And yeah, I just I'm, I'm about to undertake formal study in financial psychology because that's kind of where I'm really understanding why I was the way I was with money was was the key for me. Um, of mm. course, there are other things on top of that. There's, um, you know, investing and growing your wealth and really kind of managing your money from a strategic perspective. But I couldn't do any of that before I did the groundwork. And that's why yes. I really specialise in those trenches of working mm. out healing relationships with money, understanding your money story as kind of naff as it sounds, but understanding why you see money the way you do, why you're spending the way you do, what's actually going on there, because money is emotional, just like food is, you know. Yeah. Um, and there's so much research around why we exercise and eat the way that we do. And uh, there needs to be the same about why we are the way we are with money. Absolutely. I guess for anyone who's really resonating with, you know, your story and the, and the early days of you dealing with money, what could be some of the first steps that they actually take towards healing their story and their relationship with money and to get those savings started? The way you tackle it will, will, will of course, depend on, on the problem that you've got, whether you're paying off debt, whether you're starting to save or or whether you just know that things aren't quite right. But for me, it was really about getting really clear on where my money was going and mm. why. Because I kept, for a long time, I thought that I couldn't do anything. I couldn't improve my finances because I didn't have any money. And so I really looked at my transactions. You know, reviewing your transactions isn't groundbreaking, but I really like to look behind the numbers and what was going on when I was actually purchasing that. And things that I started to uncover there was, you know, oh, I bought a dress for an event. Okay, you know, yeah, I could cut that back. But really, why was I doing that? Mm. Was I doing that because I was actually having an emotional breakdown for two days before that event because I was so unhappy with my body that I decided to go and throw fifty nine ninety nine in a fast fashion store at the problem for something that would make me feel better for five minutes or 10 minutes or if I get really lucky the entire night and then I'm just left with something that I don't want to wear again because you know how your brain works you yeah the next day I would have felt amazing trying it on and being like yeah this is great and then the next day I'm like no I'm a mess again I, I don't want to wear that or whatever and I've traded 60 dollars or whatever it would be for that really short-term 
band-aid of a much deeper problem mm. um i realized something that i would often do is because because clothes are my kryptonite right i think a lot of people can relate to that but for other people it's all sorts of things tech or games or mm. you know people have got a kryptonite but mine was always clothes um for some people it's makeup i never really did the, the makeup obsession it was always always clothes but yeah everyone's got their own thing but what i would often do is i would you know, I'd be sort of so unhappy with myself and had such low self-esteem and such sort of like, I've got to fix myself in some way that I would pick someone else, a celebrity, someone I know, someone I've seen on the street, someone I see on the train and try and buy anything I could to be like them. Mm. Um, And now that I don't do that anymore, you know, now I've healed the problem that was causing that, I don't spend in that way anymore. So even though I might go and spend, and this is something else that was was really quite groundbreaking about looking at why those transactions were happening and what was really happening, not just the numbers, is because now I might go and spend $60 on a dress, but it's not the $60 that matters. It's the, is that $60 a symptom of something else? You can spend $60 with absolutely no problems at all. If it's budgeted for, it's something you really want. It's not about what you're spending. It's about what that spending is a symptom of. And so to wrap that up into something actionable people can do is I like to do a review of my spending every week. I do them live on Instagram or I post them to my stories, um, go through all my transactions for the week, write down what, what it was, any context, um, and really contextualize the week in terms of what was going on. Was it busy? Was I having a bad mental health week? You know, why might I be spending a certain way? And then I rank all of my transactions out of 10 on a, on a joy scale of how much value I'm actually getting from them. And like now I'm on top of my money, most of the time they're eights, nines and tens. And that gives you a real heat map of the value you're getting from your money. Whereas if I had done that and when I did start doing that um, years and years ago, you know, I'd be thinking, I don't even remember what that was. Like, I don't even remember what a transaction was. What was I even buying? Oh, yeah, I wish I hadn't bought that, but I took the tag off now. Oh, I went into the supermarket for the fifth time that week to buy one thing and came out with $30 worth of stuff I didn't mean to buy. And you know, a protein bar, because why not, (laughs) you know, Um, and all those sorts of things. And so really establishing what's going on and why, and then how much of that, if on the off chance, you actually do have a really healthy relationship with money, and you are just overspending, which, you know, I think happens rarely, I think there's usually something else going on. But if there isn't that emotional side, looking at your transactions can help you and looking at the joy value can help you discern what things can actually exist in your financial capacity and what things can't because that's Mm -hmm. different for everybody we've all got a different income and we've all got a different level of expenses in our lives so working out what can actually reasonably fit um, and prioritizing those higher joy spends and pushing to the side the the lower ones um, so that at least even if you can't quite have everything you want at this point because you're on a low income still or you're still building up your career or whatever you're still getting the maximum value that you can out of your money. And Mm. over time, that compounds to a more positive relationship with money. I love that insight so much. I think that it's just such an incredible way to look at it. And I think so many people will will resonate with that story. I know personally, I was listening to you just thinking, oh my goodness, like I've totally been there. And it's funny, even like now, I think like I'm on my second pregnancy and there's been, I feel like when I was, leaving corporate and kind of in a really great headspace of like saving and working towards a big goal of like a house and um, that I was really intentional with my savings and could really say to myself, oh, okay, that $60 on the dress could be going towards our couch or, you know, further future that I want. 
But as soon as I went through my pregnancies and the body changes and, you know, you had the pre-pregnancy, the pregnancy, then the postpartum, um, and now I'm in the pregnancy stage again. And it's like this real relationship with with clothes and like that need for things um, has come back and also that lack of actually working towards a big financial goal. Um, so I was resonating so deeply when you're talking because I just thought, oh my goodness, this is so true. And I look at the stuff after it and I'm like, oh, I probably won't wear you again because I've posted it on Instagram or yeah. someone's seen me in it or, or it's too bright now or, you know, like there's always things as to, and I so freely give my clothes away after wearing them. And I think, oh my goodness, like that was just like a $60 a wear. Exactly. And so much of the external world, even over the last five years, everything around us is pushing and pushing and pushing, even for the most natural saver who wouldn't even be contending with those things, everything around us is facilitating immediacy. Mm -hmm. Social media, buy now, pay later, it's getting harder and harder and harder. Even if you don't have those tendencies anyway and your money isn't particularly linked to your mental health or you do find it easy to stash money, it's becoming harder and harder and, sorry, easier and easier and easier to self-sabotage. So true. And a lot of, I think a lot of, you know, financial not financial advice, but financial education or or budgeting systems or whatever that go straight to the numbers. And don't get me wrong, for for plenty of people, that's so helpful. But for me, I would be sort of thinking, right, I'm going to fix my finances. I'm going to do this budget. I'm going to put that much in there and that much in there and I'll live on this. And then I would just go and spend all of that Mm. because I hadn't done the other work. So if you don't have an issue with spending, sure, you can go straight to the numbers, put this there, this there, spend this, off you go. But I think that what left me behind and leaves so many people behind is that lack of understanding of why you're spending the way you do. So that no matter how much you give yourself, you're just going to be tipping into savings because you haven't worked out why you are spending the way that you do. And it's really hard to connect that. We'll be right back after this healthy break. March is Do Your Will Month and state trustees are encouraging all Australians to create a will during National Do Your Will Month. It is probably no surprise that wills aren't a common topic of conversation over Sunday Aperol spritz in your 20s, but it doesn't take away their importance, which is why in today's podcast episode, we are joined by millennial encouraging Emma Edwards to chat about the importance of having a will at every age. Creating your will online can take less than 30 minutes and as part of State Trustees' mission that every Australian has a valid will, State Trustees is offering $20 online wills for the month of March. That's a massive saving of $100 that you can now put towards your next Aperol Spritz Sunday. For more information on State Trustees' Do Your Will Month and its range of products, or to complete your will online today for just $20, click the link in the show notes now. So I guess when it gets to actually getting down to the number side of things and you've worked on a little bit of the healing as to why you might be spending, what are kind of your top three easy tips to really get in the motion of savings? Because I feel like for me personally, once once the numbers start getting big in that savings account, like it's almost massive motivation because you're like, oh my goodness, this is getting good. This is getting exciting. But prior to that, it's really hard to get started and to say no to all of those things that you're so used to mindlessly spending on and, and just, yeah, wasting your money a little bit. Yeah, it really is. And it's interesting what you said about having a goal and how that sort of almost was good for the short term, but not so much for the long term, because that as well, like you said, if you haven't done that groundwork, I was the same. I moved to Australia from the UK and we needed to save $7,000 for um, my visa. And um, 
I thought, oh my God, I, I, I'm fixed because we did save it because otherwise I was going to get deported. So I, I <laughs> mag- magically managed to pull some motivation out. Um, but I went straight back to where I was before. Mm. Um, so once you've started to do that groundwork, I tend to sort of have a, a three-step thing of like getting going towards a goal um, from a more of a logistical perspective. So firstly, define why you want to do that thing really quite clearly, because I think particularly with property or travel, it's really easy to think that you want things because other people around you are doing them. When, why actually do you want that? Do you want to buy a house really? Or are you just buying a house because everyone else is? Are you actually ready to settle down? Or are you not not done with travel yet? Are you, you know, I think the same thing. A lot of my friends are buying like homes that they're going to live in for a long time because they're ready to start a family. I am not there yet, but I still think, God, I wish I had a three bed semi. And then I'm like, what for? Because (laughs) I'm not, at that, I, mean, I can't afford one besides anything else. But <laughs> that aside, it would be really easy for me to go off in pursuit of a deposit for a three-bedroom house, but I'm just so... I don't know if I ever want to buy that. I might want to have investments instead. Like, I'm, I'm just not sure yet. So firstly, define why, because we get caught up, particularly as you get to a certain age. I turned 30 last year. This, the pressures and the timelines are just everywhere. So why you want it? Because besides anything else, if you do want it, connecting to why you want it will actually help you with the motivation as you go um then work out how much how much you need for that ballpark if you don't know exactly and reverse engineer how that's actually going to work so say it's you know 10 grand you know that's not going to get you three beds semi but say say it's 10 grand you need for something or you know in my case a visa or maybe you're going traveling or whatever work out how you could get there with you know depending on how often you're paid monthly fortnightly weekly whatever work out how much you would need to set aside every interval to get there in a few different scenarios, maybe three. Um, So how much would you need to save per week to get there in a year? How much would you need to save per week to get there in a year and a half? How much would you need to save per week to get there in two years? And to get to 10K in one year, you need 192-ish a week. But in two years, that will be halved. So what that does is it gives you a few different options of to decide what's the most reasonable for you because often we can go okay 10k we can pull an arbitrary number out 10 grand and we're going to do it in a year and you kind of look at the numbers and you think oh shit that's tight um (laughs) and you sort of go oh well i'll make it work because i really want this 10 grand but a year's a really long time to stay connected to that goal if it's Mm. if it's actually too difficult in some cases it's utterly impossible and we don't even actually consider whether it's viable but when you when you do that it kind of helps you choose something that is achievable that is sustainable and you know, allows you to to actually reach that in a sustainable way because it's something that you can continually do over and over again rather than overstretching every single week. Um, and then lastly, what are the more everyday micro things that need to happen to get to that amount? So say you choose one year and it's going to be $192 a week. That's quite a lot, but let's say that you have that capacity. Look at your money now as it has been the last few weeks and find out where you're going to get that 192 from. Do you actually already have it you know, spare and it's already going into a saver and it's just that you need to kind of put it into a specific goal account or is that being spent on something else? Because we need to work out where we're going to get the money from. So sit down with your transactions and work out where am I going to actually release this 192 from? It could be that you cut your phone bill by 20 bucks a month. It could be that you, if you've got a home loan, you know, maybe you refinance it to pay to get a lower interest rate or something. It could be more strategic things like that. Or it might be that you cancel your F45 or you have wines at home on a Friday night with your friends instead of out and about. You know, where are you actually going to get it from? Because I think that's that action step we often forget. Um, We kind of go, yeah, I'm going to do that. But we kind of think that we can, 
you know, our existing lives can coexist with our goal as well. And and while I'm not into restricting yourself and making yourself miserable for the pursuit of a savings goal, the mathematical fact is that to put money in one place, you need to sometimes take it from somewhere else. So, yes. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, that sort of three-step mm. process is how I would approach any goal. Yeah, I love that. I found um, a really handy one for us when we were saving was just being aware of our takeaway, especially like as we are saying before with things being so fast and, you know, like we were at the stage we were both, like my husband had a business, I was working corporate. So like Friday, Saturday nights, it was just like takeaway or you're, you know, takeaway on a Friday, you're out on a Saturday and then yeah. Sunday you're hungover. So it's takeaway again. And it's like the moment we removed that and then also started doing our full weekly grocery shop. So I started food planning and then yes. doing the week, weekly grocery shop on the Sunday based on all the items I need for the food planning. Like, holy moly, the amount that you can even just say from that is like, and you're not going to the supermarket like mindlessly hungry, exhausted after work, just being like, what am I going to eat for dinner tonight and buying stuff? It's like, well, I've got everything that I need. I just need to go home and cook. And so when you're eating more healthy, you're saving money. It's so much more convenient. And I'm like, that was like a game changer and something I've actually been able to like continue in our lifestyle ongoing now. And it's like, and then takeaway feels like a real luxury and a real treat now instead of just to like, oh, what do we eat? We'll just eat whatever takeaway we can. He's going to be, you know, here in 15 minutes instead of 25 <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, it sounds, people sort of tire of tips like that, but it it is so true. And I always say, pay attention to supermarket trips, takeaway when you didn't even want takeaway, as you said, and um, anything that's a small amount, you know, I'm not going to go give up my lattes because, you know, we all know that that's um, a bit of a, a bit of a fallacy, but anything that you think is a small amount, because I think that's what happens with me with the takeaway stuff. I'm like, oh, it's only $30, but over time it does add up. And if you are enjoying it, leave it there. But think Mm -hmm. of the times when you're not enjoying it and cut those ones out. So true. No, I love all of that. Now we are going to shift gears a little bit and we're going to chat about a, I guess, a not so common topic. And that topic is wills. Um, March is actually do your will month. And personally, I have never even thought about doing my own will because I'm, you know, 32 years old. Um, To me, having a will sounds very morbid and and old. Um, My dear nan actually only passed away recently at 97. And, you know, obviously, (laughs) yeah, she was amazing. But, you know, a lot of talk around wills has come up. So you'd naturally consider someone of that age to who has all of these assets to have a will. And I never thought of it until I actually got in touch with um, state trustees. So I'd really love to know a little bit from you about why it's actually important to have a will at every age of our life. And especially, I guess, for us in the, the more millennial age group. Yeah, absolutely. I was the same as you. I had not considered a will I mean, I sort of considered one and thought, "Mm, I should really do that. But a bit like many other things in life, I didn't ever really get around to it. (laughs) And I, you know, people might relate to this. I personally have quite a lot of stress and anxiety around the concept of of dying young. Mm. Um, So facing that really did sort of put me off, really, because I thought, oh, God, I don't want to read the sentence, you know, in the event of your death. I was like, oh, God, please no. Um, So that was quite stressful for me to think about. But when I actually came to to do my will for the first time last year, it was actually remarkably non-triggering. 
Um, mm. So that's, you know, sort of a bit of background if anyone else is thinking, um, no thanks, I'm not doing a will. But it's really important to have one. And, and the main reason that I realised through learning about promoting Do Your Will Month, and I think it's a really good initiative to get people engaged with it, because, you know, you and I have become engaged with the concept of wills having not been before. But it's actually really complex if you die without a will, even if you think you have a simple setup. You know, you might be thinking, oh, well, my kids would get everything or my partner would get everything or my parents would get everything. Having one, even in a simple scenario like that, makes things substantially easier for your loved ones if you're not around anymore. And you can also prepare for things, you know, that's even more morbid to think about. But if you do have a partner, what if the two of you were to pass away at the same time? You can plan for that kind of thing. If you've got pets, you know, it's really easy to think, oh, I've only got, you know, four grand in the bank. Why do I need a will? But just having a document of your wishes, which is essentially what it is. I thought it would be much more complex than that, but it really is just nominating the people that matter to you. If you want to split who gets what, you can. Um, you nominate an executor for your will, um, who is you know someone that would administer the assets, I suppose. You can just outline your wishes for anything you've got, any pets and, and any guardians for any uh, children you might have. And you can leave gifts and you can also uh, include wishes for your funeral as well. Um, And, you know, again, it sounds really horrible, but it doesn't actually take that long. It's actually quite simple. It's not like loads and loads of complex questions. It's it's Mm -hmm. quite procedural. And yeah, it can be if you if you die without a will, it can be more complex than you might think. So it's for particularly during the promotional period of Do Your Will Month, where it's really really affordable. It's really affordable anyway for a yeah, simple will. It's but when cheap. it's really really cheap, um, it's really worth just just getting it done. And you feel like a ten out of ten grown up when you do it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, a lot of people re- will resonate with. I loved that you just called it like your wishes. So it's not. It's you know taking away that kind of like fear factor out of it but so many of us if we're say not in a serious relationship or maybe we don't have children so many of us have pets who we literally think of as our own children and would do anything for and so I think even just having a wish for where they would go to who would like look after them in the event of something happening is just such a comforting thing to have in your life and like you said it doesn't take long and it's such a cheap little exercise to do to ensure the safety and your wishes of of what you would want how did you personally start the process of creating your will and what's the first step that people can take to do their will i did mine online um with the state trustees online will system and i literally just set aside i think it was about 30 minutes maybe even less and I just, I mean, I do have quite a simple estate. I have a partner that everything would go to and then just, you know, a couple of, you know, notes in there about my, my pets and things like that. But I sat down and with my partner as well, he was there. Um, and just, we talked about those eventualities. If he did not survive me, what would happen after that? Um, and it's it's just a step-by-step process. It was really quite simple. You just go through from executors to guardians to pets, funeral wishes, um, your estate, so everything that you have, any assets, um, any cash, any all of that kind of stuff. Leave any gifts, and then you can also leave minor beneficiaries as well um, mm. for sort of people that are under the qualifying age um, that may need to inherit something you have if, you, if you're living things to children and that kind of thing. Um, but the online system, if you have a simple will, is really simple. You don't need to speak to a lawyer. It's all done online. Um, and then it's yours to store as you wish. There are many ways you can do that, which is all detailed out online. Um, but yeah, and then you just sign it, get it witnessed and, and you're done. <laughs> I'll put a link in the show notes for anyone who is interested in doing that online one, because um, I think that that, yeah, is super handy. And I just think, you know, 
obviously there's been so much happening in the world right now. There's so much constantly out of our control. And I just think that having that peace of mind and that ease, if something was ever to happen to you, just makes a process, you know, it's it's such a challenging time as it is, you know, for, for families and, and loved ones. So to make that process just a little bit easier by having your wish list, yeah, it definitely takes away some of the pain in the process, I think. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think, for, you know, for everybody that might relate to, you know, my perspective of it, of like, oh God, that's too sad. I can't do that because I can't deal with that concept. I think there's probably even more people that think I don't need that. I'm mm. young. Whereas I've never thought I needed one. Definitely. Yes. Whereas yeah. the last couple of years have really proven, you know, it, it's always true. And I always, you know, without being trying to be too morbid, try and remind people that, you know, health is a, is a real privilege. But yeah, the last couple of years I've really shown that, you know, things like pandemics don't discriminate. And so mm. being prepared um, is really important. And you can update it whenever you want to. There are certain times when you need to update it. For example, if you change your name or you get married or if anyone in your will changes their name, you might need to update it. But you can update it at any point. So if you acquire a new asset or something and you and you want to change your wishes or you separate from a partner or whatever, you can you can update it um, mm-hmm. really easily. Um, yeah. So it's not quite as set in stone as I thought maybe it might be. <laughs> and it's very adult-like, I think. I was like, oh, I feel like a real adult doing this. <laughs> yeah. When people were sort of talking to me about the Dear Will Month, I was like, yeah, baby, I've done mine. And they were like, oh, really? I was like, yeah. I know, that's what I was like, oh my God, I actually feel like a true adult. Like I'm actually sitting down to do um, something so adult-like. So yeah, um, yeah there's, there's also that kind of, that motivation in it to know that you you are growing up and you've worked, I think all of the things that you've worked hard for and you cherish in your, in your life to really, you know, have that moment to reflect on them and think, oh, I do have a lot to show for my life. So Exactly. And it can really help you um, have important conversations as well. So for example, if you have a pet and you're nominating a guardian for them, you know, it prompts you to say, you really should check with this person before you name them in your will. And and you can leave a a sum of money for the pet's care as well. And so it meant that we had a conversation with a family member to say, would you take Paddington if if we were no more? And, you know, we wouldn't have had that conversation without being prompted Mm. to by the will process. So that's quite interesting. Yeah, definitely. I guess, Emma, to finish up today's convo, I'd love to know what the best piece of life advice you've ever received is. I'm sure you've got a lot along the journey. I'd love to know if there's something that's really, I guess, stands out for you that you you still often think about. Yeah, it's an interesting question because, I mean, look, absolutely, I've had, I'm sure I've had loads of really great life advice, but you know when you get asked something and everything falls out of your brain. (laughs) But I am going with the what's sticking, what's coming up for me as I think about this question. And I remember when I was 21 or 22, I was at that point in my, I must've been 22 because I finished uni. I I was out of uni and I'd gone to London and I was, um, I was like, I'm going to waitress until I get, you know, a proper job. A lot of people did that. They did the the retail job or the hospital job until, you know, while they applied for other jobs. And I was doing that and it was taking actually a lot longer than I thought, but I loved my hospitality job so much. I've always, like when I was little, I wanted to be a waitress. I loved it. So it's genuinely my dream job. <laughs> so I was rocking around London, um, waitressing at a pizza, pizza restaurant and I had a really good setup and I was kind of bouncing a few different restaurants and it, it was quite it was quite enjoyable for me. And then the interview started to come in after several months of applying for for graduate jobs. And I was offered a couple of them. And I remember talking to my mum on the phone and 
I just said the the ones I'd been offered, one of them um, I had like a really bad vibe about and the other one was going to be a really, really long commute in my car, which was already quite old. And it wasn't going to be, it was actually going to be less money because we work for tips and like, well, at the time, wait, waitresses were tipped in London. Um, and so servers, I should say, sorry, I don't want to gender that language, but people working in restaurants worked for tips as well as their wages. And so on a good day, um, you could make all right money doing it. And um, I remember going, I'm going to end up with less money. It's going to, It was six days a week. It was going to be more hours and less money, but it was the right thing to do career-wise. And she said to me, she was like, Look, if you, and I thought she was going to go, you know, take the career job, you know, you need to start, it will be better in the long run, blah, 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 blah. But she just said to me, look, if you enjoy your job, you really can't put a price on that. And I was like, interesting. And so I've kind of always lost my way with certain jobs and things like that. But I have always really prioritised enjoying whatever I do with, you know, with ultimately the majority of our time, we're at work or in business, whatever it is you do for such a huge chunk of the week, um, if you enjoy it and you can find a way to make it work, you don't necessarily have to chase the the one that looks good or the one that's the best opportunity or whatever I'm using. I'm gesticulating with a lot of inverted commas, but if you enjoy what you do or you find something that you enjoy what you do, just try and make it work because you can't find happiness with something that sounds good if that makes sense. Yes, uh, that is such beautiful and wise advice from your mum. <laughs> My daughter's just popped in. Are you saying hello? Yeah. Would you like to say hello to everyone? Say hi. <laughs> you can talk. <laughs> You're talking like a baby. <laughs> oh, well, what a way to finish. <laughs> Hopefully so she'll listen to this one day and get lots of wise advice. <laughs> Emma, thank you so much for joining me today. I have absolutely loved chatting to you and really appreciate all the wisdom that you've provided the listeners. Thanks so much for having me. It's been really great to chat to you. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a five-star review. For any products mentioned in today's show, please check the show notes below and hit the direct links. If you'd like to suggest a future guest, please follow at The Healthy Hustlers on Instagram and send through a direct message. Until next week, don't forget to invest in you.